what you have in your hand now is a a uh, pictures of God and I I hope that I'll have a little more time tomorrow to be able to there's four of them so to help you really understand how to use all of it but um, the pictures of God are very important in terms of helping people to see what it is that you're talking about how it fits on the picture and so um, I'm hoping that uh, I'll have a little bit more time to take this but if you would put it if you put yours in a in a plastic thing like this then I think you can mark on it I think maybe with a dry erase you can probably uh, do something with that to uh, make it stand out and uh, so that you can use this um, also there is this the the um, Wall Street Journal article that I mentioned it before. I don't know if you were here the first day, but uh, the first day I mentioned this article. And um, thank you, dear. So it's, it's fairly recent. And it talks about, uh, it's yesterday's. So the, this is uh, something that I think you will find extremely interesting. And then the survey, uh, that goes with it is based on this article. So you need to either provide it or, or give them a chance to look at it a little bit first and then do the survey. Because uh, if you do the survey too quickly on it, then, then they may not understand what it is that, they're, that we're talking about. Uh, then you can, they can do the survey and then you need to arrange what's on the bottom of this survey to what is actually available at the, the location that you are living, where, where, you can, where you can actually serve the people with this, okay? So those are the two things that are um, needed. Then I'm going to be giving you, only when you're here, the God, God's plan for you, part one, part two, and part three. The reason that I did this was because I would ask my students over and over and over again to please give me the plan of God for salvation. And almost always, and I know part of it is because they went to the internet, almost all of it, all the time, they would give me the, you know, um, uh, we all are sinners. We've all uh, deserved to be, uh, ha no, not have life, but God's gift gives us what? Life, and now we have, in Jesus Christ, we have salvation. And basically it was that little outline, and I thought, they don't seem to understand that the plan of God is the everlasting gospel. What is it? the everlasting gospel. So it means that it starts from the very beginning, it goes all the way to the end, right? The everlasting gospel. And some of you have, are familiar with this, and so I'm hoping that you will just find something that you can add to your little um, bit of information and make it useful. But others of you, this may be quite new. And so it's my prayer is as we go through these, one, two, and three, my prayer is, number one, that, that there will be such a sense of urgency to get on God's side that they will want to study the scriptures further. That's my desperate desire for this set of studies. Um, also, that, that um, they may see a perspective of God's love and his desire to have us home again. 
He loves us so, so, so very much, and he wants us to be home with him as soon as possible. So that is something that I know that that's on his heart, and I pray that somehow it will I pray that somehow it will become something that will be on your heart so that you can p positively help others in this direction to find safety in Christ. And so I am praying for that to be a reality. And uh, so if we can do the things that we need to do right now, and that's to ask God's presence, his guidance, to help fill our minds with his thoughts and to give me utterance so that what I say will not cloud the picture, but it will make it clear. So if we can bow our heads, Father God again, Our hearts cry out to you for your presence, for your understanding, for everything that we need to be able to take this message and to be able to present it to someone else in its fullness, in its beauty. Lord, give us your grace. And we thank you in Jesus' precious, precious name. Amen. There is very much to share about God's love and care for each one of us. So I will divide this presentation into three parts to make each section build on top of the other like a transparent overlay. You know what transparencies are? Overlay? I pray this will help you visualize, uh, vividly visualize God's incredible plan to save this world and you. That's the prayer. In the beginning, I can honestly say without excuse that I am definitely a creationist. It's the only thing that still makes sense to me. I've heard the arguments. I've seen the way that others look at the same information that we are looking at. And what they use to prove their point, we can use to a greater extent to prove our, our understanding of a God that is eternal, a God that is, can take care of everything, an intelligent being that's out there someplace that's taking care of us. So I am a creationist. I remember while I was at Black Hills, when it was extremely cold and the moon hadn't come up yet, I could go out in the sky and the skies were absolutely, incredibly filled with stars. Filled with stars. I mean, they were, so, they were so vivid that I felt sometimes that I could just reach up and pick the Milky Way out of the sky. It was so vivid, so beautiful. And as I sat there and I took this picture in, I thought, and who am I? Who am I? This little person that is trying to, to understand this God of the universe. And I'm so thankful that he gives us this picture almost every night. He gives us a picture of who he is. He is a great God, and yet he is interested in who? In me, in you. It's unfathomable what God is willing to do for us. 
So it says that he is, that God created the heavens and the earth. And in the beginning, Genesis 1.1, you will find this again. God created what? The heavens and the earth. And you will notice as we go through this study that God is a family name. God is a family name. So here we have God in the beginning creating, and that's the very first verse of the first chapter of the Bible. Now we go to the first verse of the, of the uh, New Testament, which is John what? John 1, 1, 2, 3. And what does that say? In the beginning again. Right? And I realize John's not the first chapter in uh, first book in, in the New Testament, but it's it's it starts out the same way, doesn't it? In the beginning was the what? The word. And the word is what? Capitalized. Which means it is the name of a what? Person. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And verse 14, and the Word, what again? Word was made what? Flesh. Flesh. And who is that? Jesus Christ our Lord, and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So we can see, again, that this word created what? In verse 3, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. He made everything. And the word was made flesh. And then we see in Psalms 33, verse 6 and 9, what does that say? By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. For he spake, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. That's the kind of power he has. He has incredible power. And he, he is he's letting us know that this power creates everything. And if we go down to Colossians 1, 16 and 17, first part, for by him were what? All things created that are where? In heaven and that are in the earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones, dominions, principalities or powers all things were created who by him and for him and he is before all things and by him all things consist I, I think it's very important for us to understand here that God the Father and God the Son were together from the very beginning they they are well, let's put it this way. I'm a grandma. And I told my daughter, I said, you know what? If I knew that grandkids were so much fun, I would have done this first. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she said, mm, Mom, <laughs> I'd like to see you try that. <laughs> but what does it mean then? It means that our hearts are with our children, but it often also means that our hearts are really with those that are their offspring. The bond is so, so very tight between the father and the son and the children. So very tight. And when you think about it, 
God the Father has his son, and we will find out that he also has the Holy Spirit with him, that there's just the three of them, right? Just the three of them are, are, are reigning over this entire universe. This entire universe, they're reigning over this. And so don't you think that the, that, the, that the tie between the Father and the Son is so much greater than it is when you, when you consider that this is, who, this is all they have, each other. Don't you think? Are you with me? The Father and the Son are inseparable. And so we find the close relationship with the God, God the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. It is important for us to understand this because, you see, there are many religions that don't believe in the Son as God. Did you hear what I said? They don't believe in the Son as God. Therefore, for them, they think God the Father is just being... Uh, that the God we serve is, is, is a pansy, basically. That he would allow his son to go to the cross. But there's something they don't know about the son. And that is that the son is the one that created us. Are you following me? If he creates you, and it says there, uh, created by him and for him. In other words, when a father is looking at his son or his children, grandchildren, and so on, he, there's a sense of, of joy in seeing what they accomplish. Is that true? A sense of incredible joy to see what they accomplish. So if the father allows Jesus to create us, what is he saying to us? I am so proud of what my son is doing. Obviously, pride in his terms is different than ours, but he's, he's, he's enjoying this, completely enjoying what it is that his son is doing in, in the world, in the, in the universe. He's enjoying it. <coughs> but our heart is also in it. He's not just a stay-away father, is he? His heart is in it. His heart is in everything that the son is doing. And so, not only is his heart in what, he, what his son is doing, but it also helps us to understand how the son can have such influence with the father. Jesus, the Messiah, has such influence upon his Father, and he tells us to pray our Father, which, is, which art in heaven. He wants us to accept him as our Father as well. So there's, there's a, a, a very close tie, but it's even more than that. If you follow down, you will see that, that not only did does, does the son tell us to pray to the father? But he also says, pray in his name, in Jesus' name. John 14, 13. Is there someone that can read John 14, 13? A Bible study, the Bibles need to be out. And whatever you ask in my name, that will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So what is it it's saying there then? Can you rephrase that? That he is, there's the one in the same. Like he said, if you see me, you're seeing the Yes, he said that, but it's, they are two different people, aren't they? And he's saying, if you pray in my name to the Father, what will, what will happen? 
Okay, be glorified in, his, in that. And there are other verses of scripture alongside of that. And if you were actually doing a Bible study, it would be important for you to, to go through these other scriptures. So here we come now to the seven days of literal creation. And again, creationists, I believe, in the seven literal days of creation. Seven days of creation. What, what, what happened the first day? Created light, and he said the darkness he called night, and the, day he call, the, the light he called day, and the, day, the night and the day was the first day of creation. Is that correct? Then what is the next one? The firmament. Separated the waters from the upper waters to the lower waters, right? So that there was a firmament, and he called the firmament what? heaven third day so he so on the third day he has he has he he has the earth and he has the seas and he what else does he have he has the vegetation the trees all on the what day now that's interesting because if you're truly uh, an evolutionist you could not put it in this this direction could you you have to have the sun in order to have what the plants. But God made sure that he set it up in such a way that there has to be an intelligent being and it has to be the next day. Right? The next day. So what's on the fourth day? Sun, moon, and stars. And I'm so thankful for the sun, moon, and stars. They've been blessing my life from the day I was born. <laughs> And on the fifth day, what do you, what's fowl and the fish? And on the sixth day, what was the animals and mankind? So we have the seven little days, excepting for the seventh day. And what is the seventh day? Sabbath. The wonderful, holy Sabbath hours that he rested for you and for me. And if we would do the same, we would never forget that there is a God in heaven. <coughs> and so, he's, he's gotten this far now. And as he's gotten this far, he wants to do something very special because on the day of, of creating mankind, what does he do? The special creation. Genesis 1, 26 through 28, what does it say there? Let us make man in our image. Okay. Why is that important? It means we look like him, that we have the ability to have the character of him. What does the word us and our mean? More than one, isn't it? And in, I think it's the second verse, that the spirit moved, uh, moved uh, in the waters? That where the Holy Spirit comes in the, into the three? So um, here we have, let us make man in our image. Here we have the Son and the Holy Spirit, verse 2, known as the what? The Godhead. So God is really a family name. They're together in this. And they're wanting to do something very, very special. And so, what do they do? They create man in their image. This is quite interesting because we do not seem to find that uh, angels procreate. Doesn't seem that there's procreation on the other worlds. So he's creating us in his image. <coughs> so here he tells us in, in uh, verse, um, verse, what is it, 128, he asked them to, to fill the earth with their children. Isn't that what he says? Fill the earth with your children. What's he saying to them? He's saying, look, your, your 
children are going to be as perfect as you are. In other words, we can procreate perfection through eternity if we had not fallen. When, I mean, doesn't that boggle your mind? Think about it. Those are pretty strong genes. Isn't that true? Very strong genes. And what, 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 what God is saying to us is, look, I want you to be like me. I want you to be able to, to uh, procreate your children in perfection of my character. I want you to fill the earth again with children. What a privilege. Do you realize that we are the only ones apparently in the universe that have this privilege? That's correct. It's his to do that. So it is important for us, isn't it, that we, that we, are, we see the need of, of uh, being, being somebody that's very special to God. Very special to God. And so, procreate perfection. And God gave Adam and Eve a very special place to live, a beautiful garden of Eden. All was perfect. Genesis 1.31 says that he, God looked on it and everything was good. And I would have loved to be in this place because the first thing I wanted when I was a child was a zoo. And in heaven, there's a zoo, isn't there? There's a zoo of animals, wonderful animals that you, you can play with. You can, you can, uh, they can be part of your, of your life and, and uh, run with you and play with you and do things with you. Uh, so a zoo was very, very attractive to me as a child, and I'm, I'm still looking forward to it. And so, uh, so they, they were able to, to have all these animals, all these all these birds and all these things that, that could in, encourage and uplift their spirits all the time. They, they had all this going on. And you know, when you're, when you're sad, what, what does a little doggy cuddling up to you make you feel like? Doesn't it make you feel good? See, God was trying to give them everything that he could give them to make them happy. And, you know, um, they, I, I'm sure Adam was dressing the, the garden and Eve, and I'm sure that I, I have all these little special <coughs> ideas of what I want done in my little garden up there, but I'm sure that they had ideas grandiose, much better than anything I could ever even think of. They trained the, the vines to, to, to look like other things in nature. They trained... The, they, they could speak and understand what nature was saying to them. You would think that that would keep them happy for eternity because it wasn't just that. It was they, they could, they could uh, do all kinds of things. Wonderful gems, um, the animals and the trees and the flowers and all of these beautiful things that they, that they could weave into their life and make them... Um, understand more and more the character of God. But true love needs what? Freedom of what? Choice. Choice. He first loved us. You know, we don't have any concept exactly of how long it took for, from creation to the t time of the fall. Do we know? All we know is that Seth, that Adam was 130 years of age when he had Seth. So we know that there were two sons before that, weren't there? Two sons that came before that, and the two sons apparently were after the fall. Yes? Well, according to my understanding, they didn't age until after the fall because men would be able to live for eternity because they have the of life. So time of, time of, what is it, no consequence to them until they actually die. Well, it says that, but 
It also says that Adam was how old when Seth was born? Uh, are were they talking about from the very creation, or were they talking about from the time of the fall? Is that when they and they started eating? I know that that is perhaps something that is planned into this, but I think what God is saying to us is that He really wants us to to understand that there's there's time that we need to to uh, to reckon with. Time was we we were on probation in this world. Is that true? We were on probation in this world. So consequently, uh, I think that you have another thought? I'm listening. Okay, you're listening. Okay, I finished. <laughs> Refresh your question for me. Sir? Refresh your question. Oh, uh, because you were saying it was uh, 20, 30 years. Uh, were those years from the time from when they were created or was that time from when they fell because when they fell that's when men started aging apparently from from the scripture perspective time is always from the time of the beginning of a person in other words all the time segments that define Methuselah, Noah, etc are from their, their beginnings whatever their beginnings were mm -hmm. so the only conclusion we can come to, because there's nothing that actually uh, specifies that, the only conclusion <coughs> we can come to is that if you have a, a system that has been established, then you can, it, you're safer to base it on that system that's been established. And so every, every time you're talking about anybody coming into existence, it always says, and he was 969 years old, or he was 500 something years old. So you have to take it from their beginning. So even though we do not know precisely how long Adam lived until he fell, uh, it is obviously given us a beginning from the time that he began. So he was 100 and something years old from the time that he began. But like all, every, everybody that existed after Adam and Eve, they had a finite amount of years to live. They had a what? A finite amount of years to live. They only lived so long. Whereas Adam and Eve, could have lived for eternity if they hadn't fell. But, but even though that's true, that does not fall into the equation of the question you ask. Right. The question you ask is relative to time. time. Okay? And what I'm suggesting is that in the Bible, everybody who comes into existence, even Jesus, for example, Jesus was born <coughs> from a miracle, correct? Yes? Yes. But then he says that he was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. So you have to then take it from the time that he was actually born, even though he came from a miraculous background. It dates him from the time that he came into existence. So every person in the Bible is dated from the time they come into existence. And so that's a, that's a, a, a system that God shows in the scriptures. And so you have to then uh, either con do a conjecture or just simply say, based upon every other evidence that we have, every person that's been born is dated from the time they've started, therefore we must date Adam from the time that he started. The question is, is more apropos in reference to how long was it from the time that he was created to the time that he fell, and the Bible does not share that. So we have to then assume that the 130 years is from the time that he was created, and then 130 years later, he had a son. Does that make uh, sense? <coughs> well, otherwise you have nothing else to base it upon. Yes, and, and we don't have anything in scripture or in spirit of prophecy that backs up that particular statement. If we had something that backed that up, then we could, we certainly could take it as something serious and something that we need to take into consideration. But since we don't have that, 
then it is important for us to take what the scripture says, and the scripture says that, that when Seth was born, Adam was 130 years of age. So I don't know how long it was, but I can, I can, I can kind of uh, understand Eve's situation. Because she was living in a garden that was perfect. In a garden that's perfect, you don't need to be afraid. Isn't that true? Even though the angels and God himself had shared with them that there was something that they needed to be careful about. We don't know how long it took for them to decide to do something different. And so, Adam, Adam and Eve are in this beautiful garden. There's so many wonderful things that they can do. They're enjoying life thoroughly. And, you know, Eve's going around and she's saying, oh, this is so beautiful. Oh, I think maybe after a who knows how many years, she decides to take a little walk. She goes a little ways, she comes back. Another day, she goes a little ways, she comes back. But this time, she walks away from Adam. She walks away from that that's there to what? To protect her. To give her, give her uh, <coughs> protection and give her, and give her strength and give her give her all that they, she's going to need. And they are walking, she is walking, and what does she find herself? The tree of knowledge of good and evil. I don't really think that she was thinking that she was pushing the limit. That's my thought. What we do know is that she comes to the tree and she finds a marvelously beautiful creature in the tree. Something that she hadn't seen apparently before. So beautiful. And she, she is kind of enamored by this and this being this this creature in the in the in the tree is is taking fruit and eating it and what does he say just this three what does it say It says, now the serpent was more, watch is the next word, subtle. What does subtle mean? Have you actually looked it up? Cunning, difficult to analyze, delicately complex, understated, making a clever, indirect methods, achieve something, find dis distinctions, ingenious, elaborate, archaic, crafty, cunning. So what's this <coughs> creature doing? Serpent was more what? Subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Was that a correct statement? Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Are you looking at it? 
Did God say that they couldn't eat any fruit of the trees, uh, uh, all the trees? No, what did he say? Only one tree. And I, I think, you know, because here, here they are, um, here Lucifer is, he's exaggerating, right? And because he's exaggerating, what, what's he thinking? He's lumping everything into one thing. And I think Eve kind of brought herself to her full stature and said, that's not true. It's not true. We can eat of any fruit that we want in the garden, excepting the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And where was she standing? She's standing in front of it. But what happened immediately, as soon as the, the, the serpent challenged God and Eve came to his defense, what was she doing? She was engaging in conversation with the enemy. Oftentimes, we all try to come to the defense of people when in reality, we shouldn't even be talking to them. Are you following what I'm saying? We, we understand that where they're coming from is something dark. It's something cynical. There's something not right about it. And instead of engaging them in conversation, we should say, I'm sorry, I, I, like the Lord said, in, in Jude over the body of Moses, I rebuke you. Plain and simple. It's over. I'm not going to discuss it. But she engaged in a conversation. And that conversation, she comes back and she said, And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Now, was she also overstating? Doesn't say anything about touching it, does he? Are you, are you following me? So here Lucifer, or, or the, the serpent, is overstating. And then she comes back with an overstatement herself. Interesting. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. Why is he saying that? He's touching the fruit. You're not going to die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall see, be as gods, knowing good and evil. Okay, how much of that's true? You say it's false. What, what of it is false? I'm sorry? Definitely not like God. Okay, but look at this now. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then ye shall be as, your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as, as gods, knowing good and evil. Did God want them to know evil? No. Had no intentions of them knowing evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, because what was he doing? Eating the fruit. When she says that it's good for food, and it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be, what? It's the next word. Desired, Desired to what? 
make one wise. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Now, was Adam actually with her at the tree? How do you know that? You see, it says that Adam was with her at the tree. That's basically what it says. But he wasn't with her at the tree. He was with her in the garden. So she takes the fruit and she runs back to what? Adam, right? Now, I want you to notice something in James. I love this verse. Are you going to it? James 1, verses 14 and 15. What does it say there? And I'm, if, if you have a King James Version, can you read it for me? Uh, try the new king. We'll see what that says. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away from his own desires and enticed. Okay. And desire is conceived, he is birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Okay, I'm going to read it out of the King James. But every man is tempted when he is what? Drawn away of his own, what? Lust. Is there any temptation, is there any sin in temptation? You sure? Of course it's not. Why? Jesus was tempted. So temptation is not a sin. But if you stay in its presence, if you think on it, if you consider it, then what does it say? Tempted when he is drawn away of his own what? What does it say about Eve? She what? She desired it. It was presented to her in such a way that she desired to be given greater understanding. And as she was given this, this picture of being, being able to have greater understanding, she desired to have it. And as she desired to have it, what, what does it say then? Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth what? Death. There's usually a reason why we draw away. Usually a reason that we try to draw away. And when that happens, we place ourselves in very, very uh, bad situation. Here we have serpent speaking through her. This was a medium. It was the first medium. She feels exhilarated. She takes the fruit and she starts eating it and she's feeling exhilarated. What in the world is happening to her? I'm sorry? The excitement of sin. Has anyone in here smoked before? Okay, when you took the first, there's a, there's a couple of you, when you took the first cigarette, how did you feel? Sick. Sick. But as you started smoking it, what happened? You adjusted to it and you felt like you were being um, uplifted. Isn't that true? That uplifting experience is actually the body dying. 
Are you hearing me? Of course. Because I was 12 when I first started smoking. I felt like I was getting away with something. You were getting away with something. Do you think that Eve felt that way, or was she still innocent enough to just feel the experience of what was happening to her? Because she ran right back to her what? To her husband. But she wanted to share it with her. She wanted to share it with her. So I think probably, she probably didn't, didn't, uh, think so much about that, but maybe she did. I don't know. It was a fruit that they had not tasted. Right, right, right. So she runs back and she, she gives it to Adam. What happens immediately? She feels exhilarated. She runs back to Adam. She, glory of God is fading. She's feeling out of her mind. This is great. Isn't this what druggies say to you? You want something that just blows your mind. Fabulous. But Jesus is doing something else. What is Jesus doing? Jesus immediately enters into the throne room of the Father. He needs to stop. What does he need to stop? He needs to stop the nuclear reaction of the universe convulsing in horror and sin. 1 Peter 1.20. Would somebody read that? If I don't finish it today, we can finish it tomorrow. So he's, he came here to be manifest, but he was ordained when? Before the, foundation of the Before the foundation of the world began. So Christ goes into his heavenly father. Why is he going to his heavenly father? Because they have a plan. Do they not? Mm -hmm. They have a plan, and that plan they recognize needs to go into effect immediately. Eve has sinned. Adam has sinned. And Christ goes into the Father. And I'm sure that there was an emotional tug of war there. Because what did it mean? There was going to be a separation. Jesus would have to die. So immediately, He goes in, he gets the blessing of his father, and he comes back out looking for his children. They've chosen another way. Why doesn't he just leave them? Because he loves them. He loves them. And so he is looking for them. And immediately, the dignity and worth that, was, that they had was gone. He comes looking for them naked. It's interesting become, because we become uncomfortable in our own skin. Isn't that interesting? It's interesting. We become uncomfortable in our own skin. And when we do that, what are we looking for? We're looking for something to cover us. Isn't that right? Adam and Eve sewed fig leaves together, right? But some of the rest of us don't think about fig leaves. We think about crazy dress. We think about what else? Paint, tattoos, ornaments, etc. Right? We need to cover the skin. Interesting. Later on, Christ makes them coats of skin, right? It brings what? Guilt, isolation, separation. Where are you, Adam? Cool of the evening, he always came and talked to them. 
comes and he t wants to talk to his children. Where are you, Adam? Does he not know where they are? He knows exactly where they are. But why did he ask the question? His heart had to have been broken. <laughs> I'm sorry? His heart had to have been broken. His heart was definitely broken. But why is he asking Adam, where are you? To, to, he wants them to have the opportunity to confess, but to think about where, what condition they're in. They are not in a saving relationship with Jesus Christ right now, are they? They're suffering sin. They're suffering separation. They're suffering guilt. They're suffering all those things that they never should have had ever <coughs> had to have. God did not make us to withstand sin. We are made tough as nails in so many different ways. But there's one thing that's the weak part, and that is sin. When there's sin in the lives, it makes it much more difficult for us to deal with anything and everything else. Is that true? So here's the Father, um, look, uh, the, Jesus looking for his children. And... He says to them, Adam, what happened? And why does he go to Adam first? Adam's responsible. He was, he was king of his house. He was, he was the he was the one that was to, to, to take care of Eve. He says to Adam, what happened? And what's Adam's? Immediate blame. The woman that you gave me. The woman that you gave me. And so he turns to the woman and he says, uh, Eve, what happened? It was that beautiful creature that you made that was up there in the, in the tree. He was so beautiful. Blame. Guilt oftentimes causes us to feel like we need to blame. The immediate loss creates an immediate vacuum of life which calls forth the great promise, Genesis 3.15. And what is that promise? Enmity. What is it? Enmity. Enmity. Okay. Enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed? And I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. So what is God saying to them right there? It is a great promise, isn't it? Yes. It's a great promise. Uh, it says there that the seed is going to do what? Promise them the Messiah, the seed that will bruise the serpent's what? Yeah. Head, which is a what? It's a... When, when, you, when you hit a, a serpent's head, what does it do? That's the, that's a, destroys. 
But the serpent will merely bruise the seed, the heel of of the Messiah. How important it is that we recognize that this promise was given and it meant it meant what? Destruction of Satan, but what else did it mean? Salvation, Salvation how? Through the seed that was promised. Through the seed that was promised. There's salvation through the seed that was promised. And, but you know what? Christ was not the only one giving a promise that day. Because the Father had already given a promise. What was the Father's promise? John three sixteen and 17. What does it say? God the Father promises his Son. For God so loved the world that he gave. That's an unequivocal term. He gave his only begotten Son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. Everlasting life. God truly was in this promise, was he not? The Father. He was giving his son the same time that the son was giving himself. Don't forget it. The Father is in this with the Son. I'm there. I'm with you all the way. What about perfect procreation? What happened to perfect procreation? Sin writes its number on our DNA. You know, a while back we might not have understood this, but today it's very clear, isn't it? Today we want to um, we want to uh, put people's DNA on their on in their records. Why? Because you can see what tendencies they have by their DNA. So when God says that he wants us, that he's a jealous God, and that he will visit the iniquities of the fathers unto the third and fourth generation, is he just watching to see what we're going to do so that he can, he can count that against our, our children? Is that what it, how it happens? No. What happens is that when we sin, it actually creates a problem with our, our makeup. It changes who we are. It changes our DNA. It's not something that he's doing. It's something we're doing to ourselves. It changes our DNA. And because it changes our DNA, then that is, that is procreated to our children and to their children, to the third and fourth generation. But then what's the next promise on the same, in the same place? What does it say? Visiting the iniquities unto the third and fourth generation and showing mercy unto what? Thousands that love me and keep my commandments. Thousands that love me and keep my commandments. So here we are really facing a, 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 a terrible challenge, aren't we? We have put the DNA in our systems that is a DNA of sin. And because we put that DNA in our systems, it procreates to our children. But God promises, what? I will show mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. In other words, if we're following God, if we're following his commandments, he will restore who we are. 
It might not be instant. We will suffer the consequences, perhaps even till Christ comes. But he will restore what he can restore now, and he will restore it completely when he comes. And that's why we're looking that this promise is not just for the Messiah to come, the first coming. This promise is for, for the coming of Christ in the future. The second coming of Christ, the new earth, it's restoring us to everything that we have lost. What a promise. And I'm hearing lots of chatter out there. But I like where I've just come to. I'm going to start next time with the bottom of this. The rest of it will be pretty fast. And next time I don't have to pass out all the materials. And um, you'll just have one next time. And we'll take it from there. But... What can you take from this? What can you take from this? God loves us. There's nothing he couldn't do for us. And it was planned also for us. It was planned before? And the promise was the same? The promise was the same? The promise is not only from the Son, but it is also from the Father? that they are both in this together and the Holy Spirit is in there with them. We, we don't know exactly how the Holy Spirit's working at that point, but we know that the Holy Spirit was there as well. So we know that the Godhead is in this with us. And it's so important for us to be sure that we can fully, fully understand what it is that God is doing for us. So that when we go forward, that we will not, we will not be, uh, not, not have the understanding of what has gone before us. Because we have nothing to fear for the future except we forget how God has led us in the past and his teachings. So the teachings, what has happened in the past is so important for us to understand what it was that happened. And even though I recognize that for most of you, this is just going over new things, going over old things, as we go on, I think you will find that there's many more things that I think will help you to really help others understand what it is that they're making a choice between. And that's my prayer. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, Again, I say thank you. Because you have promised us the seed that will take from our lives the sin and give us life eternal. Lord, please, may we understand this, but may we take it clear into our hearts and use it to save and seek those that are lost. And we thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www dot audioverse dot org.